please open your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. And look there with me in verse 3. God's word declares, Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. What a blessed word does God the Holy Spirit put into the mouth of his servant Isaiah when directing him to call our salvation not maybe mercies, or possibility mercies, but ever so blessedly sure mercies. Beloved, believing sinner, this speaks of your salvation and mine, the gospel of the everlasting covenant, even the sure mercies of David. How mercifully does the Lord meet the wants and happiness of his people here in our text by describing the gospel of our salvation with such comforting words as sure mercies. Are you not thankful this morning to have it made known to you that the gospel of our salvation is described as the sure mercies of the everlasting covenant of God's grace? Now, not work, not, not as a work that happened yesterday, but founded upon the everlasting covenant of God our Father, given to us in His Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. What a blessing it is, beloved, to have it made known to us that our God has saved us and called us with that purpose grace he's given us in his son, wherewith he has loved us everlastingly. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, and then again in Second Timothy 1, how that our heavenly Father hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And again, how our Heavenly Father hath saved us and called us with unholy calling, not according to our works, beloved, no, no, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. God's word declares in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning there in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And why is it that the Lord would save such a worm as you in the pew or such a worm as me behind this pulpit? He gives us the answer to that question through the pen of Jeremiah in chapter 31, verse 3. And there he condescends to answer why he is everlastingly purposed to save us by his grace. He tells us, because I have loved thee with an everlasting love. You see, beloved, the sure mercies of Christ are not, are founded, the sure mercies of Christ are founded upon the everlasting love of God, founded upon the everlasting covenant of His grace. And my friend, that covenant stands sure, for its author and finisher is God Himself. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And beginning in verse 2, we read here, beloved, 
of that faith that's not of ourselves, but by faith, beloved, by the gift of God, we're looking unto our Lord Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see, this is the comfort of every believer in Christ, to have it made known to our understanding that all the powers and perfections of our triune God are solemnly promised for this salvation of his people, all of which was purposed in Christ Jesus before the world began. You see, my friend, this is what is made known to the believer, how that the working of all things for our good is not by our own hand, but ever so blessedly by his never-failing hand. Beloved, I'm so thankful for that, aren't you? You see, the saving of his people is not according to our power, as if we had any, but ever so blessedly according to his power. Beloved, the sure mercies of David, the everlasting covenant of grace, depends entirely upon our triune God. You see, God is the only contracting party in the covenant, in the agreement of his grace. For in it, he answers both for himself and for his people. Turn with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. Now, I want you to see the language. Indeed, I want you to look upon the language of the covenant of grace. This agreement that God made by himself, for himself, with himself in in eternity. Jeremiah chapter 31. And then look there with me beginning in verse 31. Beloved, this is the language of the covenant. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God. And they will be my people, and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more. Beloved, this is the essence of the new covenant of his grace. God declares, I will, I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sin no more, and they shall be my people. You see, in eternity, our covenant God made a promise with himself. Now, this promise was made in eternity, in the eternal counsel of the Godhead, between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so God promised that he would perform the salvation of his people. That is what he purposed before the world began, and it was according to his power, not ours. Beloved, does it not comfort you to see that nothing on your part, no work of your hand, could have given birth to a covenant of grace which is from everlasting to everlasting? You see, my friend, the gospel does not have its origin with man, but ever so blessedly we learn here that its origin is with God. You see, he didn't start during the it didn't start during the time state of the church, because the covenant of grace is eternal. And further to that, 
its being kept is entirely dependent upon his power. As we just read this past Wednesday, there in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, Beloved, we are kept by the power of God through faith, through the uprightness, through the faithfulness of our never-failing Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, my friend, he does all the saving. Indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ, our high priest, is able and saves his people. Now, not almost by the skin of their teeth. No, no, rather, he saves his people to the uttermost. All that come unto God the Father by him. You see, nothing lacking on the part of his people shall arise to defeat the accomplishment of his saving all of his beloved people. We read in John's Gospel, chapter 6, and we looked at this earlier. Verse 39. And this is our Lord and God declaring the will of our Heavenly Father. I never tire of hearing our Lord's words and hearing undeservedly by His grace the gospel contained in His words. Our Lord declares there in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 39, This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. You see, our God, beloved, the true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, shall not fail to save all of his people. He declares the end from the beginning, and the ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Beloved, believing sinner, you who possess eternal life through that faith that was given to you, you who possess that which is not of yourself, but very blessedly the gift of God, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, you can't work it out unless you already have it. <laughs> now, can you? But, beloved, by God's undeserved grace, you possess, right now, eternal life. Our Lord declares, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath, right now, everlasting life. Now, in our portion this morning, there in Isaiah chapter 53, we read of the sure mercies of David. And this leads God's people to a comforting and joyful view of the gospel of our sure salvation in Christ. Now, no one for a moment can entertain the thought that our text is referring to King David. For you see, the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Acts, speaking of David, how that he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep, and was laid unto his fathers, and saw corruption. You see, the one to whom Isaiah refers to in our text is David's Lord. Indeed, our text speaks of the one who saw no corruption. You see, this is speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see here through God's own word how this text applies to God's only begotten Son. For when God the Father raised the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, he expressed himself with these very words, preserved for us by God the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. If you turn there with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. 
And look there with me, beginning in verse 33. God's only holy book declares in Acts chapter 13, verse 33. God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second Psalm. Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Notice that word give. I will return to our text in a moment, but I want to impress upon you the language of the gospel. Notice God's word does not say, I will offer you the sure mercies. Rather, he says, I will give you the sure mercies of David. My friend, the gospel is not offered like some cheap item of commerce. No, no, rather the gospel of eternal life is given. And turn with me to John's gospel, chapter 10. We were looking at this in our Sunday class, John's gospel, chapter 10. Beloved, this is the language of the everlasting covenant of God's grace. And our Lord declares this, speaking of his beloved people, he declares in John's gospel, chapter 28, or chapter 10, verse 28. This is our Lord and God speaking. He says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. You see, our Lord is not some seedy salesman who's trying to make a deal with you. He doesn't offer eternal life. No, no. Rather, he sovereignly gives eternal life undeservedly to dead, dirty, damn people like you and like me. I love all the places God teaches us the language of his free and sovereign grace. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 we read there in John's first epistle, chapter 5, verse 19. He writes, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. And we know that the Son of God is come, and hath given us an understanding. Beloved, he's given us an understanding. This is a revelation from above. We didn't figure this out. That we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. I say again, beloved, we didn't figure this out. No, no, rather he has given us this understanding that we may know him that is true. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now let's return to our portion this morning. There in Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Beloved, the sure mercies of David both speak of and are connected to the everlasting covenant of God's sovereign grace given to us in Christ. The Lord enabling, the Lord willing, I shall endeavor to set forth from God's own word how that this redemption, the redemption accomplished by our Lord Jesus Christ for his precious sheep, is a work of grace and mercy 
from beginning to end. And secondly, again, the Lord enabling, I shall endeavor to show forth from God's own word how that the saving work of our Lord, his saving mercies for his people, here described as the sure mercies of David, are founded upon the everlasting covenant of grace, through which grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ, our Lord. May God, the Holy Spirit, who first moved Isaiah to proclaim the sure mercies of David, now enable this poor preacher behind this pulpit to proclaim the rich gospel mercies of Christ, that our gospel may not come in word only, but in power and in much assurance of faith. Beloved, the Lord is not going to bless my eloquence. I don't have any, really. (laughs) He's not going to bless any illustration. He's going to bless his very own word to the hearts of his people. And I pray that he be pleased to bless his word, not mine, with his spirit and both comfort and save his people. Beloved, our redemption by the Lord Jesus Christ is a work of grace and mercy from beginning to end. Indeed, nothing can more decidedly make clear the truth of this gospel reality than the words that the Holy Spirit moved Isaiah to use. You see, beloved, Isaiah was moved to write of our being redeemed and being made righteous by Christ as an everlasting covenant. Now, the term everlasting carries with it a meaning that must be founded in grace, entirely unconnected with any human power and not dependent upon any human merit. For what first originated in the free and unmerited mercy of God, confirmed as it was by the covenant engagements between the Father and the Son, before man was created, is promised to be carried on in all its purposes and effects by the same divine power, independent of man's agency after his being brought into being. And so most assuredly, this can come under no other description than that of grace. You see, whatever God has done or is doing in the accomplishment of what the everlasting covenant designs must all be referred back to the eternal counsel of God's own mind by virtue of it being an everlasting covenant. And so what are we to understand by this? Very simply this. God is not like man. You see, when a man plans something, he may come up with plan A, and if that doesn't work, Perhaps plan B. But with God, there are no plan Bs. For you see, the everlasting covenant of God's sovereign grace in Christ is his only plan. And my friend, there is no plan B. I remember attending a Bible study with a missionary some years ago who was teaching through the book of John to Chinese students. Now, they were coming from an atheistic background. The concept of God was new, and certainly they've never heard anything about the gospel. And I remember how that a question came up. And of course, it was all very logical. The reasoning went like this. With Adam and Eve, was God attempting to do something that failed? Was this God's plan A, if you will? And was God's reaction to that failure on the part of Adam to the fall of mankind, was that God's plan B? Now, of course, we can understand this young young man's reasoning. But this is carnal reasoning. And of course, I say all of that to emphasize this. Before you and I were ever in this world, before you and I were ever born, before Adam fell in the garden, before any man sinned, it has always been God's purpose, 
according to his eternal counsel, that eternal counsel within the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God has everlastingly purposed to save his people in Christ before the foundation of the world. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, was not our Heavenly Father's plan B. No, no, rather, from the very beginning, God purposed him to be the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. Beloved, by the everlasting covenant of God's grace that he purposed to give us in Christ, it becomes most plain and evident that it is to this everlasting covenant that God's people owe their names being indelibly inscribed in the Lamb's book of life, never, (laughs) never to be blotted out. Beloved, that's why we're chosen. That's why we're saved, called, and quickened by His grace. What a blessing it is to trace to the everlasting covenant, to the sure mercies of David, for our being found in Christ. You see, our dependence upon the promises and all our hopes of eternal glory are all founded on that everlasting love wherewith God had loved his people from before the foundation of the world in Christ. As we read in 2 Timothy, in fact, turn there with me. Many of you are familiar with this portion, and perhaps there are those who have glanced at it before, but the Lord has not been pleased to bless it in a saving way to the heart. Listen to the gospel of our salvation, beloved, recorded for us there in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Beloved, God hath saved us. And when did he save us? Before the foundation of the world and the eternal counsel of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God purposed to save his people. And so we read in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Beloved, God hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Such a better word to use than plan. <laughs> God has a purpose that shall not fail to save his people. Now, if you would, turn with me to Psalm 89. Psalm 89, and look there with me, beginning in verse 2. Psalm 89, verse 2. Our Lord and God declares, For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. And then he supplies the reason in verse 2. I have made a covenant with my chosen. You see, beloved, everything that has has reference to our salvation is found in our Lord Jesus Christ and may be clearly traced up to its origin in that everlasting covenant, that everlasting covenant of God's sovereign free grace, which our Heavenly Father made with him before the world began. Beloved, believing sinner, look to your own experience for a confirmation of this truth. A covenant founded in grace can derive no aid from works, none whatsoever. As we read recently these past weeks, and it bears repeating, Beloved, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which is shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. You see, you can have nothing to give but that what you have first received. And what you have first received is only yours, beloved, 
because it was given to you undeservedly by God's grace. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? You see, when our good and ready to forgive God gives to his people, he doesn't change his mind. <laughs> he doesn't change his mind later and ask for it back. I love that verse in Romans chapter 11, verse 29. Romans 11, verse 29, we read there, beloved, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Indeed, they are irrevocable. This is why our Lord tells us ever so blessedly, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. And he teaches us in another place. We learn that the character of our Lord and God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And he says this in another place. One thing is needful. <laughs> One thing. Christ. He says, one thing is needful, and beloved, you hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from, from you. Beloved, you have chosen Christ because if you first chose, if, 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 if you chose him, it's because he first chose you and loved you. I think it's better to read this portion from 1 John. First John chapter 4. So why is it that we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, the called according to his purpose? Well, beloved, it's because he first loved us. And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, we read these words. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, if you would, allow me to put forth another reason in ascribing the sure mercies of David to be utterly and completely founded upon God's grace in Christ. You see, it was unmerited grace which made the Lord Jesus to bear, to, to be our surety and substitute. Beloved, as a man, he fulfilled in our place the law's demand for perfection. And in his sacred person, he endured the penalty we so richly deserve. You see, it was an act of God's undeserved mercy and grace to make his son to be the substitute for many. And so it must be confessed that the everlasting covenant is very properly called the sure mercies of David. For it is a system of grace and mercy from beginning to end. Turn again with me to Hebrews chapter 12. And let's look at the whole verse there too. Hebrews chapter 12. And let's read the whole verse too. Looking unto our Lord Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That last part is just shorthand for hearing our Lord say afresh, it is finished. <laughs> he sat down, beloved. It is done. Every one of God's people 
who by God's grace have been made to see in the light of Christ that the author and finisher of their faith is Christ himself. And they rest in that. We rest in that, beloved. I'm certain you who have been made to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ can own the language of our brother Paul as your very own. But God, who is rich in mercy of his great love wherewith he loved me, even when I was dead in sins, hath quickened me together with Christ, for by grace I am saved. And every one of God's people can enter into that same language of the apostle. And so as the original cause in conversion springs forth from grace, so too the preserving power of the great work in the soul is wholly owing to the same great principle. Beloved, we are kept by the power of God through the faithfulness of God's only begotten Son. And so, beloved, when you call to mind the coldness and deadness of your best affections, your proneness to wander and backslide from God, who saved you and called you by His grace, when you call to remembrance the grievous transgressions wherewith your life has been ruined and stained, oh, to grace, how great a debtor! Will you not, with the utmost humility, cry out with the apostle, unto him who doth exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Beloved, does it not become delightful to the soul under the divine teaching to be able to see that redemption's work from its beginning unto glory is wholly a system of grace? And it becomes doubly sweet at the same time to have a clear, God-given understanding that this grace worketh and reigneth through righteousness, that these mercies of David become sure mercies, being made so by the virtue of the everlasting covenant of righteousness in Christ Jesus, through which God can be just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. And so the sinner, though nothing but sin and iniquity from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, can look up and plead the righteousness of Christ as the foundation of his acceptance before God. Because in that covenant, our Heavenly Father made his darling Son to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Now this is what I propose to set forth at the outset, and which I shall now endeavor to illustrate and explain under a few leading particulars. Beloved, the mercies of David become sure mercies to the Lord's people by virtue of that everlasting covenant which occupied the divine counsel in eternity before the creation of the world, in which there were mutual promises made by the high contracting parties within the Godhead. You see, our Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of God, for his part, undertook to answer all the demands of his Father's righteous law for the objects of his and his Father's eternal love, who it was foreseen they would subject themselves to everlasting, everlasting ruin by the breach of it. And God the Father promised on his part to remit that punishment to the person of the sinner by inflicting it on the person of his beloved, well-pleasing Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the sinner's surety, and then to entitle the sinner by virtue of the Redeemer's righteousness to everlasting life. These were the terms by which each party guaranteed to the other the sure fulfillment of the covenant. Our Lord, therefore, was to assume our nature at an appointed time, 
referred to in God's word as the fullness of time. And so having assumed our nature, and in that nature he fulfilled God's broken law and sustained the penalty due to the breach of it. And so moved with unbounded love to our fallen race, all this the Lord Jesus Christ actually performed when leaving that glory which he had with the Father before all worlds. And so he came into this world and accomplished all those great events which we read of in, in the history of his life. And so through his doing and dying, after he had wrought out and brought in an everlasting righteousness, he returned to the bosom of the Father to make effectual the whole process of his redemption by sending down his Holy Spirit to apply his merits to his people's desperate needs. While he himself is exercised in the high character of our intercessor to plead the efficacy of his death and continually to appear in the presence of God for us. Uh, turn with me to John's Gospel, chapter 2. This is not in my notes, so let's hope I can find it. John's Gospel, chapter 15. Let's listen into a far better preacher, <laughs> our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. You know, some people have referred to Charles Spurgeon as the Prince of Preachers. That's uh, um, poorly attributed to him. The only Prince of Preachers is the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to how he explains how it is that we now stand complete in Christ, beloved. Uh, what I was earlier illustrating was this covenant, this agreement between the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in this portion, we see the triune God. Here, our Lord condescends to explain to us how it is that we believe on him. He says, when the comforter is come, and this is our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, explaining how it is that a sinner like you in the pew and a sinner like me behind this pulpit, how it is we believe, <laughs> how it is we rest in his doing and dying, how it is we rejoice in his blessed person and his finished saving work. This is what he says. When the comforter is come, and this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. When the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the father, even the spirit of truth which proceeded from the father, he shall testify of me. <laughs> He doesn't testify about some sound theology. The Spirit, he testifies of the blessed person and finished saving work of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. And when we hear, by God's undeserved grace, his voice, we rest in his doing and dying. And so through his doing and dying, beloved, through his redemption and his righteousness, we learn that we are complete in him and lacketh nothing. Beloved, these are the great outlines of the everlasting covenant as referring to the engagement of God the Son and the promises on the part of God the Father to anoint Christ to the work and accept of him in place of the sinner. And so where the Redeemer had made his soul an offering for sin, as Isaiah writes, that he should see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. 
our Heavenly Father speaks to us through the words of the prophet Isaiah and tells us, My righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Now, if you would, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59. And look there with me in verse 21. Our God declares, The only true and living God declares from his only holy book. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. And so then, the terms between the high contracting parties, and having been fulfilled on the part of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mercies promised on the part of our Heavenly Father become sure mercies to all the Lord's people. And so, my friend, as the Lord enables you, review the ground we've gone over in God's own word to set forth these mercies of David as most assuredly sure. My friend, behold the everlasting covenant founded in grace, accomplished by the great representative of his people in grace, and in all ages accomplishing in his people by grace. Observe how each principle harmonizes to secure God's glory, while it tenderly secures man's welfare. Notice how grace reigneth through righteousness. And I venture to hope, if God the Holy Spirit be the teacher, that the result will be the most absolute conviction that our text very properly characterizes this great salvation by calling it the sure mercies of David. I love that word sure, don't you? You see, beloved, you who are trusting Christ with all of your salvation, not only is his precious blood the payment of the law, but what makes our salvation most sure, beloved, is that he is also the performance of the law. He is both our redemption and our righteousness. Oh, what a blessed gospel it is. What blessed gospel covenant language do we read in our text? Isaiah 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. And so, my friend, my question to you this morning is very simply this. Am I or am I not the highly favored object of those sure mercies of David? How can you know? How can anyone know if they are the object of God's everlasting love, the object of these sure mercies in David? My friend, do you say, as David did, speaking of Christ and him crucified, this is all my salvation and all my desire. I don't have this portion in my notes, but I think it would be helpful to understand what we read in the Old Testament. We read a portion in the New Testament. What is it to have Christ be all your salvation? All your desire? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. You'll find that there are many portions of God's word that we repeat frequently. And it's not a grievous thing for God's people. Indeed, it's safe for all of us. 
We read in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, our beloved brother Paul writing these words, saying the very same thing that David said. This is all my salvation. Christ is all of my hope, all of my salvation. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, yea, doubtless, I and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Beloved, that is the testimony of a sinner savingly interested in the sure mercies of David. When pardon, mercy, grace, righteousness, sanctification, and strength equal to the troubles and trials of our day are sought for in nothing else but God's everlasting covenant of grace. My friend, what do you know of these sure mercies of David? I cannot, I dare not be silent while endeavoring to comfort the people of God with a view of their privileges without calling upon you to examine and look diligently lest you fail of this grace. Oh, that the Lord may incline your heart, that you may come. Oh, that you may hear the joyful sound and live, that God may give you also the sure mercies of David. May God the Holy Spirit write upon every heart gathered here this morning. As we read there in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 3. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Amen.